Hello, and welcome to another episode of Rightfully So, the podcast that is focused on first-year writers and the challenges that we face when writing in the academic classroom. So for this episode, I thought we'd talk about critical thinking as it relates to rhetoric. And I'm sure many students have been faced with the challenge of uh, teachers critiquing their, their level of expression like oh you need to go deeper on this or this is a surface level observation they're probably getting a lot of language from their instructors that is suggesting that they need to think more deeply about the assigned subjects or topics however i don't know that very many students are necessarily getting um and a a good explanation in terms of like what are some of the instructors expectations with regards to critical thinking um, I know that I'm sort of in the habit of using very simple um, explanations or definitions as shorthand things like analysis is um, observation plus significance and using that in place of critical thinking. But ultimately, when you're struggling with writing, even if you know your audience and even if you know your purpose, if you haven't spent enough time with the subject and if you haven't done the critical thinking aspect, Turns out you're still going to struggle with page count. You're still going to struggle with um, uh, meaning. You're still going to struggle with like unique expression and, and you're still going to struggle with like research, right? So it really, you need to spend some time with that, that topic, right? To do the critical thinking. So I really want to open up the, the discussion today to sort of talk about as instructors, what are your expectations for critical thinking? And then what might, what advice might we offer our students with regards to critical thinking as it relates to rhetoric. So when we were talking about this episode um, in the formation of it, one of the analogies, and I think we're pretty good at this, like in terms of the metaphors, um, was the idea of deep thinking and it being um, jet skis versus scuba diving, right? And so actually I was recalling that I first heard that term, there's an article that Nicholas Carr wrote um, for the Atlantic called, Is Google Making a Stupid? Um, and I signed it to my students. And basically the line was, once I was a scuba diver in a sea of words, now I zip along the surface like a guy on a jet ski. And Nicholas Carr is really referring to like the reading process, right? Like in terms of the internet causing this sort of um, <laughs> lazy reading, so to speak. Um, and so it's interesting, but that's, that is tied to critical thinking, right? And this idea of, you know, it, it makes, sometimes it's, well, it's simply, it's a lot easier just to jet ski, right? Like rather than scuba dive and scuba diving takes time. <laughs> it takes questioning and dialoguing with the text and really kind of responding meaningfully, um, which is tough. So that's not really a solution, but like when I'm thinking about why this is difficult or why students are like, wait, how do I do this? Um, it makes sense to me that it's not an obvious, you know, because it, we're looking beyond the obvious, right? Like, so. I like, I mean, I, I, I love that metaphor too. Um, but something that it always, like something that you just said that really rings true, I think is the idea that it's beyond the obvious, right? It's beyond what we see above that surface. And so when we ask them to do critical thinking, we're asking them to go to that, you know, more in-depth level. And I think that that 
because we can't necessarily say exactly what that is, because we can't point them to what that specifically means. We can't say, here's exactly what's in depth, you know, about this particular subject. And so the fact that we can't even direct them sometimes prevents them from being able to get there because we can't be more specific. We're hoping that they're going to explore it themselves and come up with something that is relatively unique. And I think that's part of the problem. And that's why, that's why critical thinking is so much more difficult than, you know, than some other disciplines where it's a matter of two plus two is four, you know, some, some basic kind of rules that you can rely on. Whereas this is more find your own way, find your own path in a sense. And I think that that independence that comes from, you know, that critical thinking, that's the part that's kind of the struggle because it is kind of a solo journey. Um, and we can't necessarily say, here's exactly what we mean when we tell you to go more in depth. And so that's where I feel like, and I empathize with students because that's where the hard part is. We are saying, go to this level that even we're not sure where you're going to go, but we want you to go there. It's explore the unknown and good luck. And students are like, but I don't know how to. So it's, I, I empathize with them with that, with that problem. Yeah. And I think even in the rare case where an instructor might be able to, to sort of give examples or sort of point them in the direction of this is what I mean by critical thought, the instructor may be reluctant to do so. Right. Um, I would, con it's not a great turn of phrase, but I think of it like poisoning the well. Um, the idea being that in giving these examples, I've biased the students to that way of thinking. So then they, they latch onto that as a roadmap. Oh, Mr. Grazier said this, it's the hero's journey. And then they snatch onto that. And then they're, they're still not quite doing their own critical thinking. They've got a roadmap and they're going to follow it, which is, which is great. Like it's, it's a way to sort of understand how that skill works. Um, but I, but I feel like it's, it's not an authentic voice, right? Because they're really just sort of parroting back to me things I've already said. Um, and so I find myself, even when I'm like, I, I really see this particular interpretation available to them. And it's a great way to sort of move past that surface level observation about the text. I'm reluctant to share it because I don't want to get 20 papers back that all tell me the thing I just said. <laughs> that makes me think of going back to our analogy. I feel like that's the snorkeling. That's where they've got the goggles on. They've got, you know, but they're still close to the surface, but they're looking down. So they're like, okay, I know what you mean by going in depth. And I'm pointing it out, but I'm still going to stay up by the surface. <laughs> I stay up here where it's safe. Um, yeah, and, and I, I try to think of like techniques, right? Because in the absence of, of concrete explanations or concrete examples, um, sometimes techniques are helpful. Um, and, and so uh, I've tried sort of suggesting to students like follow the why. You know, sure, have have that reader response criticism moment where you're like, I don't like this. Cool. That is a valid response. Why don't you like it? And there's usually a response to that. I don't like it because like I don't relate to the antagonist. Okay, why don't and you're they're gonna get frustrated, right? Because it's like trying to have a conversation with a three-year-old. Well, why? 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 But the point of the matter is is that at some point you're gonna you're going to reduce that text or that subject down to its smallest component part. And you can't ask why anymore, right? And if you're taking notes through this process, there's a good chance that there is a, a, a very easy to follow like line of logic that starts at the very top level. I didn't like this book that gets down to something like, well, 
the author uses all this language that I can't follow. And so it's hard to get engaged with the characters. And then when I do understand what the characters are doing, I just don't find it all that relatable because their existence is so far removed from my own, right? You know, the classic Shakespeare problem. We tell these students that this is essential learning, but the language is so foreign and so removed that they can't recognize that it's bigger to understanding that these characters are living experiences that they have in common with the students, right? Like Shakespeare wasn't necessarily this high intellectual. He was writing for the masses, right? He was writing about the human condition. It should be relatable, but they're running into the language problem, right? So, so this idea of trusting the process, right? And following the why. But then there's a new roadblock, which is that takes time, right? And then we get into the essential issue of time management. Um, so I would also suggest to students that be patient with yourself. Um, it is going to feel a little frustrating to constantly say, why, why, why? And then the question of, do I have to do this with every page? Well, no, like not every page, but, it, but every time you highlight the text and you, you say to your future self, hey, this is important, you, you want to annotate that and start following the why for that a little bit. Why is this interesting to me? How does this relate to, you know, there's a lot of how and why questions. And the funny thing is, is I have a chart that I share with my students that's like critical thinking 101. And it's how and why and who and what and where. And I'm like, we learned these in elementary school and it doesn't fundamentally change, right? And so the thing to understand is like these, this is, this is fundamental to learning and, and to, to knowledge and to understanding and it doesn't ever change right the context in which we use them changes but but the technique itself doesn't necessarily change um what's your experience been in the classroom with that like do students sort of come to it with like not able to generalize the the knowledge that they already have or or do you think that they're sort of um sabotaging themselves expecting maybe they're like over anticipating right and so they're sabotaging themselves a little bit i i feel like i can when up because i like you i tried to kind of guide them with you know the why and why is this significant let's answer that question and then just in even the conversation about it sometimes will lead them to something um, and then I also try to use words like analysis and evaluation as being part of what, you know, critical thinking is all about. And it's, it's the first, it's kind of part of it, but I want them to get to some sort of, not necessarily like problem solving, but some sort of, of opinion or assertion or a judgment based on that evaluation and, and analysis that's happening in the beginning. And that's the part where they seem to not want to get to. Um, and I think it's because of that reluctance of thinking, what if I'm wrong? So I, I feel like we, you know, I'm, I'm able to kind of get them to say why it's significant, but then they don't want to make that final, that final step to say, and therefore here is my interpretation of this particular thing. And that's, I think the struggle, like I said, I think that that just might be something that's because they're just still feeling that anxiety about, about, is this right? I don't want to make that statement and say, I believe I'm right about this when I'm not exactly sure I am. And, and that's where I think it's kind of frustrating because you want to build that confidence in them to make that statement, but they're, they're so hesitant to do so. So that's where I tend to fall short, I think, um, in the class. Well, and, and, and it is scary, right? Like when what we're asking students to do isn't easy and it is something that is beyond what they maybe have been asked to do 
prior to college, right? Like, so one thing I was thinking about when both you and Bill were talking was this idea that when, for me, critical thinking is about making connections between things. Um, sometimes that's where the magic happens. So you're thinking about details and making connections between, and, and, and that I know sounds really general, but, uh, and I'm trying to, to get more specific, but making connections, and, and it is okay. And I think this is why this happens a lot where students are like, how does this apply to my own life, right? Like as Bill was saying, like reader response, right? Like this idea of like, what do I already know about this? Um, and so then it is a, sometimes where it gets complicated is that as instructors, we ask students to apply concepts within the realm of critical thinking, right? Like, so, okay, so maybe I've just learned about feminism and like a feminist lens. So, you know, Bill had posed a question, <laughs> why don't I like a character? Why, I don't like this character. Like, I just know that, but I, I can't figure out why. The critical thinking happens when you break it down and you're like, wait, this, this character um, doesn't have any agency. She always defers to the male characters. Um, and I don't like how it goes, right? Like, and so this concept of feminism is like piggybacked. And so some of it is where I'm gonna go back to like reading what you're assigned. <laughs> There's a reason why it's assigned. So maybe, maybe it is a matter of like making connections between like, okay, what was assigned before this or in conjunction with this, like that can connect to each other. Um, because generally speaking, that's what we're asking students to do is to kind of go, okay, so I learned this. How does that actually play out here? I don't know. No, I think that's a that's a great point. And then uh, one thing that sort of popped to mind as you were talking, um, there is there is a metacognitive aspect to this, which is if you're trying to apply like a critical lens, you have to sort of think about thinking, you know. So again, like the reader response criticism is very it's a great place to start because it's really accessible because it is rooted in the reader's experience. But in order for the reader to explain their experience in writing, there has to be that metacognitive element of understanding why you responded in that way. And that can be really challenging. And then layer that on top of the, what if I get the wrong answer? They've just spent how many years getting to college and it's rote memorization. It is, it is regurgitation. It is re fill out the Scantron bubble chart. Like the, the concept of there is a right and wrong answer just keeps you know, getting drummed into their entire educational existence. And then they get to our classroom and we're like, so how does that make you feel? Why do you think that way? What do you think the author is intent? And they're like, but what if I'm, what if I'm wrong? What if, what if I say the author didn't have an intent and Mr. Grazier knows there's one because he asked the question. So there obviously has to be an intent, but I don't understand the intent. So what do I do? But what if I raise my hand and then he just makes fun of me? I wouldn't do that, by the way. I'd be like, great point. And then use it as like a, a jumping off to another discussion, but still like, I see the panic in their eyes sometimes, right? Because we're asking for a genuine response. And that genuine response is again, recruit is, is rooted in that, that critical thinking aspect, right? Of answering the question authentically um, and then using that as a point for exploration, right? Like, oh, I noticed this element. Now I want to explore that further. Um, so yeah, great, great point. Great point. Uh, we have about four minutes left. So um, what other sort of like thoughts or takeaways do you have for the students who are listening? 
Um, I think because something that made me think about something else that might be a struggle for them too. And it's the idea that we also ask them for objective analysis and we tell them to remove their bias, but at the same time, rely on your experience and what you know. And I feel like maybe that's even part of the hesitation too, is the whole, you know, they're thinking to themselves, well, am I only thinking this way because of my own personal bias and I have to approach this objectively, but yet I know what I think and feel based on my experiences. So how is my interpretation going to be objective? You know what I mean? And so, you know, always, always go back to the evidence, always go back to the facts, always go back to what it is that you are observing, because no one can argue with you when you say like, okay, you know, this, this book here is blue, you know, no one's going to necessarily disagree with that. So if you're, if you're talking about these facts um, and details that are not something that can be argued, your interpretation therefore can be, you know, based on, so you're kind of picking the facts that, that, um, that like we were saying are significant to you when they jump out to you, you know, kind of think about, okay, why, why does that seem important to me? Maybe that's, that's, you know, an avenue I can pursue and that you're not wrong. Um, so, and that, I think maybe that's the biggest point. You're not wrong. <laughs> don't be afraid to make the assertion. Um, and don't be afraid to make that leap to here's my conclusion based on what I see. Um, you know, have confidence, be confident in yourself, really. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I just, uh, I made a note here. It's like um, intellectual risks are fine in, in classrooms when we're asking you to interrogate and to have that critical thinking element, intellectual risks are encouraged. Um, make the assertions. I always tell my students, they're like, well, what if I say this? I'm like, can you find evidence for that? If you can find something in the text that supports that assertion, it's a valid interpretation. They're, they're, there are unsupported assertions, but I wouldn't, I hesitate to call those wrong answers because they're not really, right? The, the reader read the text in that way. Unfortunately, they can't necessarily find support for that interpretation. So they sort of need to like rethink the approach or find different evidence that supports their assertion, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's wrong. And I think that might be one of our biggest challenges in the classroom is to sort of divest these students of this idea that there is a right and a wrong answer when it's their their idea like it's it's their their voice as a writer um that feels like a great place uh you know to, to maybe end this episode on hey there isn't a wrong answer um trust and be confident in your own voice as a writer and it also feels like this will um wind up being a great transition into like our next episode where i think we're going to talk about how you take all these great ideas and then express them in writing because that's the next big challenge right it's one thing to have the great idea it's another to share it effectively. So until next time, get out there and write something.